Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Greg Mathis. He is a poultry scientist and researcher for Southern Poultry Research near Athens, Georgia. Always a pleasure to see you, Greg. Thank you. Have Last year when we talked, Greg, uh, I asked you about the antibiotic-free trend, and you said, Joe, you know, in some ways it's been a blessing in disguise, a real good thing, because people are now getting away from the ionophores and they're giving them a much-needed rest, which they were doing anyway with rotation programs, but you seem to convey that they really needed some downtime. Well, I think from the ASTs that we were seeing that the, obviously the ionophores needed a rest and they were being used very, very heavily. Uh, they are, they've been off maybe a year or two of not being used quite as heavily, but I'm not sure that the ASTs are picking up a, that much of a difference, but I think we're gonna, we need to give it a little more time. Conversely, as a lot of poultry operations have gone antibiotic-free. They use the vaccine as often as they can, but they also use the non-ionophore anticoccidials or the synthetics. Um, do they need more of a rest now that they're getting used more? They do, and but I think that we really are doing that. We're doing the vaccines during the summer and the spring and the fall and then going back into some a drug-type program and then going back to the vaccines. So we're not continuously, most are not continuously losing the chemicals. So they are spreading them out and resting them as we've been doing for many, many years. And I think that's, so far, I think we're holding up without any problems. Now, it's not a new medication per se, but Zoaline or a product called Zoamix was off the market for about nine or 10 years. Previous manufacturer was just not making it. Uh, it was brought back to the market about two years ago. And I've heard people describe that as a product that acts like an ionophore, but not quite like an ionophore. Uh, what's been your experience? Well, I think that is probably one of the most interesting of the new product or reintroduced products uh, in a number of ways in that uh, a company came to me and they were using uh, Nicarbazine, which is a very strong drug, and they were having some pull it out and immunity was not fully developed because it was so strong, and they were going to go to some other drug. And before, in a long period of time, well, there are products such as Amprolium, mm -hmm. but it only has a limited spectrum of activity against Tonella, while Zoline, on the other hand, is a very good alternative because it has a broad spectrum, a full spectrum of activity. Its mode of action is to allow, like an ionophore, like you're saying, immunity develop, direct control and immunity development. So it's almost an ideal to put it in there following a really strong drug, tapering it down and going into a withdrawal program. So it works really good. I know a lot of operations, both conventional and the antibiotic-free ones, they may start with a vaccine, but then they find that the vaccine needs a little help. Talk to me about the what they call the bio-shuttle programs. And it is basically, yes, what you're using a vaccine because of application issues or production issues, it's our management or whatever, you know, you don't get a good coverage and you get kind of a rolling effect. And what you really want to do is have something to come in there to modulate that toxicity at its peak. And so in the antibiotic free world, there's really aren't many options. And then one of the options is again, either maybe Amprol, which again, doesn't have a full spectrum of activity or uh, Zoaline. 
and you really need something either like that. You need something that allows immunity development as well. So again, it's a it's sort of an ideal relaunch of a product uh, niche that you know I think they're filling that we didn't have before. You you brought that up about the medications possibly you know killing the vaccine. I remember when the vaccines first started gaining traction, oh, maybe 10 years ago or so, and everybody said, well, it's fine if you use the vaccine, but make sure the guy who's driving a feed truck knows that, because if he delivers the wrong feed, it's going to kill the vaccine. Now, we're actually making it part of the plan to use the vaccine and follow with the medication. So you're saying that you have to be selective with the the medication you use, and I would imagine also the time at which you use it. Timing is very important, and you gave it too early. So like a farm had clostridium issues, and they knew that the coxie was cycling too much, you might use it at earlier. But if you use it too early, of course, no, no matter what drug you're using, is gonna kill off too much of it, and you're not gonna get cycling. So then you have to decide, do we have more of a clostridium issue, or we have worrying about immunity? or do you use it too late, like 22, 28 days, and let a lot of immunity, but then you've got the possibility of early clostridium. So there is a fine line, and I think most people believe that, you know, from 18, 16 to 18, 20 days, somewhere in there, you need to start it. Then you can decide how long you want to keep it on there. But again, you know, if it's even with an antibiotic-free, non-antibiotic-free world, the ionophores work really good for that because it gets a antibiotic effect as well as modulating the coccidia. So there's still good things in the world of coccidia control and clostridium control. Now, with the vaccines, with more and more operations turning to them for at least a portion of their program, are we learning more about them? Yes, I think we have uh, looked at application, gel spray versus water spray. Is one working better than the other? Uh, are we, uh, some other thoughts are that they're spraying and doing a fill boost now. A fill yes, boost? A fill boost. With like a spray or? Yeah, they're so spraying it back on the feed or spraying out on the litter actually. And, uh, and uh, just to cover up those missed birds because that's obviously the missed birds that are the ones that are really the trouble that you have immune naive birds that are two or three weeks old come in contact with a lot of coxie. And so if you can, get better coverage by doing it twice. But uh, yeah, I think that's working pretty well. And I think they've increased the dose, we've increased the lighting. So yeah, they've learned a lot about how to apply a vaccine and it's doing better. What does lighting have to do with coccidiosis management? Uh, well, lighting as far as coccidia of application is, you know, because it's a preening of the, either the gel uh -huh. or the water. And the faster they can preen, particularly with the water, because it'll evaporate really fast. And so if they go at it really fast, they're active and it works better for picking up oh, a greater percentage of the coccidia. Okay, so we've covered the medications, we've covered the vaccines. Let's talk about some of the alternative products. I know a lot of people come to you and say, hey, Greg, would you check this out? What are you finding? Uh, we probably have 24 right now battery studies lined up to look at alternative products for clostridium and necrotic enteritis control. So they have a lot of them, but really the ones that we're concentrating on are the direct-fed microbials, which don't have an anticoxidial effect, obviously. We're looking at a lot of essential oils, which have a little bacterial and coccidial activity, 
and we're looking at a lot of the saponins, the triterpenoids and the yucca extracts. So uh, there are things that have a little combination of both. So that's a, it's a good thing. And I think we're taking that and, I, and it's really interesting to see in the field, it's, it appears to be working, you know, and I, and I, you know, we, that's the problem with research is we've always wondered, you know, can I prove it? But will it really be applicable? And I think we're now showing that yes, we can. We do have some alternatives and improvement, but they're not the same as an antibody. Right. Well, and do you have to evaluate them differently? I mean, was that part of the problem uh, in the sense that you know you're so used to evaluating a medication or a vaccine? When you talk about one of these alternative products, do you have to? set up the trials differently, the methodology, and just the way the data are interpreted? Well, uh, yes. Uh, the studies for, you know, originally for drug, anticoxidial drugs, we'd take a two-week-old bird, just put them on feed for two couple of days, and, and we could challenge them. While nowadays, you know, such as with essential oils, and a lot of it is manipulating the gut health, gut strength. It's really not working against the coccidia, so you have to start a on medication or, or not medication on treatments at day of age instead of waiting and and uh, so yes we had to manipulate that we have to tone back some of the challenges to look at more of a subacute subclinical challenges to control because again they're not they're not as good as an antibiotic and uh, we don't have anything that's as good as an antibiotic we don't have anything as good as a US an FDA-approved drug out there, but at least they're helping. Now, I've heard, I've heard it said that where there's coccidiosis, there's necrotic enteritis, or at least there's clostridium, and then you get the necrotic enteritis. Yet, people over in Europe have said, well, we don't have this necrotic enteritis problem, which surprises me because, you know, they use coarser grains, they feed a lot of wheat and so forth. Is there something we can learn from Europe about managing necrotic enteritis, or are they just looking at it differently? I think they're looking at it differently. Actually, I think that uh, they call it dysbacteriosis, and they actually have uh, issues a little bit different than us because we have built up litter. We have coxie that cycles better, and uh, we get it out of the way earlier. In Europe, they clean out their houses and they delay it, and so they have sort of, a, again, a rolling clostridium or enteritis. It may not be as much of a killer, but it really is a performance killer because it just kind of late comes in later than it does in the United States. So uh, I don't believe we can learn anything from what they're doing. I like what we're doing here in the United States with the built-up litter and some of the programs that we're doing. And, and it's interesting with the built-up litter, I mean, to what extent does that contribute to the health of the birds? Because I know a lot of people will say, well, the United States is unique in that way, because uh, Canada and in Europe, they do change the litter with, uh, with every cycle. We don't do that. Yeah, yeah it is a good one because, you know, every time you go out and give a presentation somewhere and we talk about built-up litter, and, and, and like you said, most places don't use built-up litter. And so they're just shocked when you tell them, yeah, yeah, you're doing it all wrong. But one of the first classes that I took in Coccidia, or part of my defense, the question was, is there a diff what is a new house effect with coccidia? And that is exactly what it is. There's not any coccidia to start with and it pushes it so late into a cycle that it's really a bad thing. As far as the bacteria go, again, uh, I think the rule of thumb is that 
if you can get it in, again, a stable environment. You can see the diversity is so much broader at the beginning and then it shrinks down. So if you can get that to shrink into a, a more of a mature bacterial population faster, it's better. So again, that's built up litter can do that. Have we learned anything more about nutrition and what contribution, if any, it makes to maintaining a healthy gut so that we're less dependent on some of these medications? Again, very good question uh, on the diets and nutrition, I, you know, because I give a lot of these antibiotic talks. And one of the first things you'll talk about is diet. And we've shown that higher levels of certain enzymes, like a phy, super dosing of phytase is actually shown to be a change the pH of the intestinal tract and, and be beneficial of changing. It uh, regulates calcium, but then you can move down into the minerals. And we've shown a lot, done a lot of vaccine with different levels of really absorbable zinc levels and gotten better villi strength and actually have shown really good improvement. So it's really a, a whole gamut of things from diets to enzymes to minerals to probiotics to prebiotics to the phytoceuticals. And so it's a really an integrated acids and butyric acid. So we've got a whole army of things, you know, you think that maybe we can't do it, but we can do it if we use them all. Mm -hmm.